Hello, everyone. Welcome to Lavish Hope, a podcast that highlights stories of resilience and overcoming. In this space, we explore what it means to be resilient in today's world, how to overcome challenges and find hope that is generous, abundant, and even extravagant. It's a hope that is deeply rooted in our faith, not some theoretical ideal, but gritty, real, hard-won faith. It connects us with the prophet's powerful, assuring message, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. And our hope is that you'll come away from these episodes feeling encouraged and inspired with perhaps a new tip or tool to help you on your life's journey. So come along with us and embrace lavish hope. Dr. Micah McCreary, director, <laughs> the president of New Brunswick Theological Seminary here in New Brunswick, New Jersey. It is such a blessing to have you here on this podcast with me, and I celebrate this inaugural series. The idea for having a podcast came up about a year ago in our guiding coalition, mm-hmm. um, Women's Transformation and Leadership. She is called Building God's Church Together. And we started to think about what would it be like to um, to sit with people like yourself who had um, gone a mile or two mm. in the world of challenges and overcomings and talk to them about what it means to have lavish hope and how do you build it? It's kind of like a muscle or spiritual practice. How do you build that sense of hope and where do you find hope? And um, and just hear some stories uh, from wise ones like yourself. So here we are. It's great to be together. And I would love to just have you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. I love to start just my personal self, um, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Um, my parents, James and Shirley McCrary. Um, I'm a love child, so that's kind of a cool thing about that. I'm the oldest of seven children, and um, Detroit was a place to grow um, the ability to be resilient, and so I say that as well. I left Detroit when I was 17, 18, heading to the University of Michigan where I did my undergrad degree in engineering. From there, um, shortly after, um, married to my wife, now I'm partner of, for 37 years. Then went to um, Virginia to do my divinity degree, my master's in divinity in pastoral care um, at Virginia Union University School of Theology. And during there, um, worked with youth as a youth minister and as a youth director and really realized I wanted to be a counselor with families. Um, And young people were telling me, we need you to be a counselor with families. Um, We don't need you to preach to us. We need you just to help with this. And so things happened to where um, I wound up going to Howard University to just get some background in psychology and then was admitted into Virginia Commonwealth program um, as a counseling psychology student. Um, didn't realize their program was the number three program in the country and um, came out of there. Um, I won a fellowship my senior, my last year of graduate school and went to UCLA to study urban poverty. And um, while, while I was there, the university called and said, look, we really want you to come back as a faculty member. 
wasn't my plan. I had planned to really leave there and become a counselor to the church, um, set up a practice um, with churches to be a therapist for churches. Um, with the call, it was a secure job. Uh, being a person coming out of poverty, um, making it, I really wanted something stable. And a professorship, a tenure professorship um, made sense to me. And so I assumed that, um, resigned my pastorate for a while, became an associate pastor with my mentor. And while there, um, began to work as a psychologist, got a couple of grants um, to do work with children and families around substance abuse issues. And that really became my specialty. Did get licensed as a therapist. And so became a licensed clinical psychologist um, during my second year on faculty. And so I really, for 10 years, focused on just being a professor while being a associate pastor at the church. And it was amazing. That's when my wife um, really began her ministry. She became the associate pastor of that church as well. And so we started working together. Was tenured um, in 2001 at Virginia Commonwealth as a professor. And at the same time, um, my sister passed away. Um, my, she's three years younger than I was. And she at 40, she passed away. And we were coming back from her funeral and I had preached the eulogy and um, my wife and I both heard a call for God for us to work together in ministry. And we thought it would be a counseling ministry. And so we came back and um, really began to discern where God would have us, what God would have us to do. And during this time, um, Spring Creek Baptist Church called me to come in and just preach. I went and preached for them. They were like, would you consider being our pastor? I'm like, um, if I do anything, I would be with my wife. And they were like, what are you talking about? Well, and the Lord gave me, I just developed overnight a whole program of what it would look like to have a husband and wife as senior pastors of a church. We took the church, it was 30 members. Um, when we left there 17 years later, there were a thousand members of that church. Um, God had just blessed tremendously. And um, so I then had the pastoring job, the professoring job and the practice job. And I worked all three of those until August 10th of 2016, I had an auto automobile accident, um, broke a rib, tore up a shoulder, couldn't work for three months. And during that time, lost contracts and was discerning. And someone said, hey, it's time for you to be, come back to the academia as an administrator. And I wound up at New Brunswick within a year. So, yeah. That's quite a journey. My goodness. So I'm already sensing there are several stories of hope and resilience and overcoming in there. But I'm wondering if there's one of those um, moments that you might want to just, um, especially, you know, we have the, the blessing of you having the psychology background. So yeah, you yeah. understand what some of these, these words mean, resiliency, for example. Yes. Um, but if you could just maybe dig into one of those stories for us and sure. just share a little bit about where you found hope and, and where, how did you cultivate resilience through yeah. those experiences? Well, if resilience is growing through adversity would be one of the words I use for, for resilience. Um, it's really finding life after you struggle with an obstacle. Um, it's really recognizing that I've got to focus on living and not focus on the obstacle. Um, that's really what resilience is. And so one in the story I just told, one of course would be connecting with my wife. I did not want to be a pastor. 
um, because my father was a pastor and I just had some major reservations about pastoring. I loved um, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Malcolm X had a critique for pastors where he was like, all of these, you know, Holy Ghost pimps is what he would call them basically, yeah. where, you know, you're, you're making all this money and you're growing and you're taking it from people who don't have. And so I had a core sense of me and, and, and a, a belief system that said, I can't profit off of people who don't have. And so, you know, and then, that was that was a struggle for me with that, and so I, I didn't mind um, the the professorship allowed me to have an income, and then I could do church, I could do counseling with reduced rates, that kind of thing. Well, just tired of pastoring in that way, not feeling good about it, but teaming up with my life partner, um, it really became family. Um, church became home. It, it was an integration of all I am as a therapist, all I am as a psychologist, all I am as a, a person into serving God's people. And it was just wonderful there. And that that probably healed me um, and allowed me to work with pastors now in a way which is enriching because I don't have all those issues I had because of the time that she and I spent together um, nurturing that congregation and helping it to grow. Um, it was fabulous. I mean, I had grants I ran from there, after school program with kids I ran from there. So my my university came into, the academy came into the congregation as well. So it was just a, a blending of all of me, you know, which got me ready for being here, by the way. <laughs> you know, yeah. Right. For surely yeah. God knows the plan <laughs> for God a future with hope. Plan, <laughs> oh my God goodness. Knows. So I'm wondering, um, how was it for your spouse? How did how did she? Could you talk a little bit about like what was going on for her? Yeah, well, it was amazing because she says I um, early on in our life, you know, because I think she had the call first. She was ten years old when she first received her call from ministry. <laughs> Praise God! <laughs> and and she played a tape of her initial um, speech she gave at ten. And I could not touch it, you know, as a grown man. I'm like, so I told her, uh, you know, kind of playfully and more protectively when we were first married that, you know, there was there going to be one pastor, one minister in the house. And since I was already ordained and licensed, that was me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, How did that go over? <laughs> um, it did. It went over and it, it, it stayed dormant until it decided to hit me upside my head some years later uh you know <laughs> and it eventually did and so it was it was amazing because you know as we grew and i really my philosophy grew um to really knowing that you know an egalitarian way to be uh, an authoritarian way to live life not authoritative or not you know giving love and giving limits was was who i wanted to be it was painful to realize that I had stifled her for a while oh, and nice. it was joyful to be able to facilitate her becoming a senior pastor because of the team piece she probably became a pastor sooner and when anybody would question it we would use the Aquila Priscilla model um, where you know they had a church in their home mm -hmm. and if Priscilla's name was mentioned three out of the five times first it may either she had more prestige socially or she was the lead pastor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was fun to just work with that and grow with that. And, you know, I remember um, one time we were in church and she turned to me and just said, you know, you're just too loud. You're, you're too boisterous. You're too big. Just, you know, calm down. 
And I looked at her and said, well, I could also say that you're not loud enough. Um, you're not big enough. And so why don't you come on up? And it was one of those times where I think it, it woke her to the fact that she had so much more power and um, didn't have to be in the shadow. And I couldn't, I could not keep her in the shadow because of who she is. And she, and she just blew up. And so it's been wonderful to watch her go from there. She's actually solo pastoring now um, here in New Jersey. Praise God. And I'm um, doing that thing. I get to, I get to be her congregation on Sundays with this shutdown. So I, I sit there and watch her preach and get revelations from it, you know, so it's been cool. That's beautiful. What a journey the two of you have been on, right? Where your paths, of, your vocational callings have intertwined and then kind of separated, but still yeah, yeah. still influencing each other. That's a beautiful thing. Very much. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned the shutdown. Uh, I'm just wondering, where have you had to practice resilience uh, in overcoming or inspire others to do that yeah. during this season that we've been in? You know, it's on, it's on the hearts of everybody these days. Yeah. It's... I've been doing a lot of, of conversations. Um, I actually did a keynote speech for a um, home for prisoners returning, um, re-entry into the community down in Florida. And because of the pandemic, um, they didn't have to fly me down. They didn't have to put me up. Um, they just, we, I zoomed in and gave them the keynote as well. And I've been doing maybe one or two of those a week um, and really just speaking uh, about that. I think, what people don't think about too is that the mental health professionals and the physicians who've been working so closely to heal and, and hold people together, they're burned out. And I've been blessed to have a number of them as friends. And so I've been formulating a support group for them and doing that kind of work as well. So that's been one part of it. The other, of course, is New Brunswick, um, mm -hmm. really walking this community both early on in, in the shutdown in the pandemic, we lost our my predecessor, um, Greg Mass and Al Jensen. And it was just very, very painful um, for me personally, but the, the whole institution and mm -hmm. denomination and to walk people through that, to um, be with folk through that was a powerful piece. I think my, my gifts and skills as a healer um, came into play with that. I think too, um, it's been fun to bring my academic self to this position. And so writing grants, and we've been blessed to increase our grants here, um, you know, pr publications and all for me and for the others here. All of that's happening. I think it's really elevating uh, a wonderful, to me, New Brunswick is probably the best seminary in the world that nobody really knows. Mm -hmm. And so part of it has been helping people to get to know it and to be that that commercial, um, that, that drum major um, for this place. And so it's been fun to do that as well. Well, I think, you know, so just in the spirit of transparency for our listeners, I am very blessed and grateful that I have my office here at New Brunswick Seminary, yes. and I do sit on the board as an ex-officio, and so I have been able to watch these past years as you uh, first were um, considering coming to the seminary as the next president, and then as you stepped in, and um, just to say you know, speaking to that, those, you know, the more recent past. And as you were talking about uh, Dr. Greg Mast, who's the former president, he was here for uh, over 10 years and that's in that um, role. And then Dr. Al Jansen, who is one of our retired professors uh, from this seminary and in our our um, our denomination, the Reformed Church in America, they both held uh, the wis wisdom seats alongside others, but they were very much part of the wise council of elders, if you will, um, in our in our 
uh, in our in our midst and to have them both kind of snatched away just as they were beginning their retirement and we thought they still had decades um, to to live was really quite shocking. And I did watch the way you were able to hold that space um, and encourage people to share their grief and their stories and yet still persevere. Yeah. One of my fun stories about it was when Greg was here just visiting um, I was telling him about this grandfather clock that was here in the president's office and it wasn't working when I came in. And I'm like, so I thought it was broken, of course. And I called in a, a um, clocksmith to come in to oh oil it and, and fix it and get it going. And the guy's working on the clock. He's like, nothing's wrong with the clock. You just need some oil, et cetera. And he fixes it. And now I wind it up every day. And Greg was here and I'm like, Greg, you know, I got the clock working. He's like, um, it was never broken. Vicky and I just got sick of hearing it chime in the house, the president's house. And so we stopped winding it. And, you know, and so that clock to now, I literally have one of his stoles on the top of the grandfather clock. And I think about him when I come into the office, that's just my way of my, the clock's name is Greg, you know, and so I'm with it, but yeah, he, he's very much here. Um, it's a fun piece. You know? That's so beautiful. Honoring the legacy. You know, um, Micah, something that I have really been thinking about a lot lately and the work that I've been doing has really focused on this whole idea of dismantling racism. And this is something that's really pressing on the hearts of people all over. And I think especially for those um, who claim, you know, Christianity, who who are followers of Jesus Christ, how do we navigate this time where out in the public square, you know, there's the clamor for justice. And then within the church, sometimes there's silence or there's, um, there's just a discomfort in how to properly engage. And given the fact that New Brunswick has been part of, uh, or has been actively engaged in dismantling racism for, I mean, a decade and a half now, since it first really came up under uh, Dr. Mast's uh, when he was, you know, under his purview. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if you could talk, because it really is a story of hope and of certainly resilience and overcoming, but just talk a little bit about how, when you sense God was calling you here, I mean, you stepping into this role, uh, it really is historic for us to have an African-American step into this role at a, in a seminary that's historically of Dutch descent and had not had senior leadership before that was non-white. So just wondering if you could narrate a little bit of that to us. I think that would be so inspiring for our listeners. It's it's a fun thing. Um, And I say that, which gets people riled up around the whole race and justice issue. But when it's a part of your DNA, you know, it's, it's just something that's there. It's like, um, what is it? The thought where the, the little fish asked their mother, you know, what is the thing of water that you're talking about? You know, because they're so surrounded by the water that they don't realize that, you know, water is, this is what it is. And I think um, for me, when it comes to the issue of race and racism, you know, I don't have to ask what it is. It's a part of the, the essence. Well, it was, it was a wonderful thing to come to a white institution and recognize that a part of its DNA now um, is the fact that it is anti-racist. It is diverse. It it is working to do what a lot of people are trying to do. That I think we're we're way further along in that vein, and that was that was affirming. Um, you know, 
as one as a warrior, as 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 a warrior healer. I, I see myself. I'm not as a warrior rescuer. I'm not as a warrior hero. I'm a warrior healer. And the thing is, is that I fight to heal. And so even in looking at what we're doing now, it's like, how do we do this, but do it in a way which is healing? And so we came with the metaphor now that we're more like a David and Goliath kind of thing here at New Brunswick, where racism is the Goliath, it's this giant, and we're this little David. And all we have are our five smooth stones. Um, and to use those is what I think we have to do. And I guess that's a part of the, the resilience and the flow. If you don't use your stones and you focus on your Goliath, you know, your giant, you know, you really then become one who is paralyzed by fear, paralyzed by anxiety, paralyzed by rage, par whichever side you're on, you get this paralysis. And, and that's been the problem I think with our country right now is that we're all paralyzed because we're looking at it as a giant and not focused on the skills that we have. I'm a good shepherd. I'm really good with my slingshot. I've seen a lion and a bear, you know, try to take my sheep and I defeated them with these stones. I'm, you know, for a little boy, if you think about it, a lion and a bear, you know, a wolf, that's the same as a Goliath. And I think that's what people forget is that we've got these tools. We have these tools. Yes, we've been oppressive. We've been abusers. We've been rapists. We've been, you know, all these things are a part of who we are. Let's not ignore them and become ashamed of them. Own, own what we are. And then let's go ahead and heal and, and deal with it. And that's kind of where we are. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm really hoping to take a lead nationally on that um, and, and not just be, you know, this cocoon where we're this healthy, healed cocoon and the rest of the world is dying. Um, right. How do we actually help the rest of the world? Yeah, that's so beautiful. That missional focus, right? That we do this internal work of healing first, mm -hmm. and then we can pivot and look outward that's and right. then start to multiply it. I love when you talked about being a warrior healer, because right in that, there's a dynamic. I'm all about the both hand, right? You know this, Dr. Mm -hmm. McCree, about mm -hmm. me. I'm all about the both hand. Uh, how do we... How do we be and raise up both and leaders in an either or world? Mm -hmm. So so I think about warrior healer. And for some, they may think like, how can those coexist? It's like in the women's ministry world, we talk about how do Mary and Martha coexist, right? But they do. They do. They, they do. live very happily inside of me and they can work it out at this point <laughs> on who needs to have the front seat. But I'm just wondering, and I, I so I just wonder if you could... Tell us a little bit about the warrior healer as a both and just for mm -hmm. some folks that are trying to wrap their head around that and, and are inspired by it as I am. Yeah, for me, it's who I am as a person. I, I am a warrior. I've been raised to be a warrior and I wasn't always a warrior healer. Um, at times I was a what they call a, a warrior hero where I wanted to save everybody else. And what you recognize is that, you know, no, um, Saving is not the thing to do. That's that's what Christ does. <laughs> you know, my, my job is to bring folk to Christ and that takes the process of healing. And so it's to really take my authentic self. Um, and I think everyone really can come to the warrior frame. Um, it's not just those of us. There's some of who are more prophetic and there's some of us who are priestly. And the prophetic seem to be always seen as a warrior. But what I've realized for my wife in particular is that the priest is a warrior too. 
it's just a different way of, of, of looking at how you do war. And so you, you know, you bring whatever those gifts are to the table to really create a space for people to do the healing work that they want to do. And that's the difference. And there, you know, the extrovert versus the introvert, all those things are just personal things. Mm -hmm. Um, you can still be a warrior from that. And it's like, I love to teach folk on how to use the self to be that warrior and how to use yourself to be that healer. And, and one of us, I've learned this from, I, I, I believe more women than it is anything else, but to really look, I, I have what you call a clinical gut, but my clinical gut is trained by theory, by research, by practice, by experience, by best practice in, in what you do. And so you take that, which is natural, but then you infuse it with what you know and what you feel and what you sense and all that together gives you the ability to bring somebody out of the darkness into the light. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And that's, that's such an empowering image. I'm wondering what if somebody says, well, I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter. What if somebody says like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm a peaceful, I'm a peaceful warrior. Yeah. How does, how does one embrace the notion of a warrior when they really value a more sort of the, the, the image of being peaceful? Yeah, I th there's actually a book by Millman called The Peaceful Warrior, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Um, and again, it's, it's using the mindful, meditative way to heal others. You know, there, there's there's so many ways to heal. That's what people don't realize. There's so many ways to war, to wage war. And we have this one restricted way that we conceptualize. This is how you wage war. This is how you do healing. And I, I'm like, broaden your horizon and your spectrums, and, you know, your, and see the fact that there are many ways to wage war. You know, that was the beauty of, in my tradition, of course, the Martin Malcolm piece, where you had this one by any means necessary, but this other who recognized that if we go in talking any means necessary in the South, it's going to result in a whole lot of dead folk. Mm -hmm. And so how do you, you know, you, you take the dog bite, you take the water hose, which to the North was like, are you crazy? I'm going to go off. Well, that, that's not going to work in that context. Mm -hmm. And so even context can sometimes shift the way you are. Cause I would argue that Martin Luther King has come at um, the new book is called radical King talks about, you know, and, and Cohen, his book, Martin and Malcolm talks about their complementary sides of the same coin. And that's the piece that's there, you know, and that's in, the both and that's both so hand. helpful. It's the both and. So I'm wondering if, if you were to um, share where you're finding the most hope today, mm -hmm. what would you want to share with our listeners about that? Not to be spiritual, and and I know it's the Advent season, but for me, the most hope comes from the incarnation. It really does. Um, and, and I guess I see incarnation as hopeful because it says that the amazing spirit of God, healing, wonderful, creative part of God, chooses to connect with who we are as human. That that And, and to me, that says that even as we see ourselves sometimes as um, pathetic, we're so beautiful that God would want to be with us. God would want to connect with us and God would want to fuse, you know, in the incarnation, you see the fusing of, of the best, I would say, of what it is to be human and the best of what it is to be God. And to me, that's what gives hope. And, and I'm constantly going after that. You know, what's the, the best part of it? And when I look at experiences, no matter how painful they are, there's a, there's a nugget 
of something rich and, and, and transformative in that painful experience. When you look at the wonderful spirit, there's, there's something, there's a nugget there of some pain. And it's like, how do you take all of that and use it to be God's? You know, we have the spirit of God. We're, 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 we're walking like God. And that's what gives me hope is that I've got God in me. I've got spirit in this human body. And therefore all things are really possible. You know, and the, the Greek word, of course, is tall toss, all things being all the things, you know, and that's wow. So everything I go through, God is God is able to use it if I process it correctly from my human perspective so that God can take it and make me what he wants me to be. You know, I love that. Amen. That that was a uh, that was a good word right there. <laughs> That's where your that's where your preacher side's coming out. Oh, but, but there, it is it is, it is um, you know what what you were just articulating too is it's there's hope, but I also see where that's a place to cultivate resilience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you know I, I I think about it um, now. I look at a, a day, and you can leave that day drained. But there are ways to be so purposeful in how you construct your day that you leave that day empowered. So I, I begin my day, you know, by writing now. I used to work out in the morning, but I literally, you know, I enjoy writing. And so at, at five in the morning, sometimes at four, I'm up writing. After writing, I, you know, I do a French press coffee. I'm, I'm a coffee person, you know, and then my <laughs> wife, <too. laughs> yeah, then my wife and I share devotions, you know, then I come to work, you know, um, and, and usually after doing some Tai Chi in the morning and then come to work, which that's the work part. That's the, the hard part. And at noontime, prayer and a walk and some Tai Chi, then back to work, back to work, back to work. And then the evenings is a time first, a small workout, then cook dinner, you know, and, and enjoy some good company and relax. And that that ebb and flow of the day keeps me ready for the next day when it, when you come to it. And I think people don't do that as well. We just kind of, eh, you know, and don't plan that day. I don't know where that came from, but that's. <laughs> no, that's a beautiful. Um, it's a beautiful image of sort of the rhythm of the day and building in building in practices where you can um, experience um, a, a sort of like a renewal. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's our Western society really values um, pro producing production, right? Being productive. As we conclude, Dr. McCreary, I'm wondering if you might have, uh, you've already told us several things that inspire you, the story of David and Goliath and, and your, uh, Malcolm and, uh, Malcolm X and, and Martin Luther King, um, as people that you admire, but I'm wondering if you have a favorite verse or quote, uh, oh. that inspires you. Yeah, I mean, the ones that have just long standing ones, I've got newer ones now. I, I, Isaiah 50 and four is a new one, but the old ones, the ones that brought me to this place, of course, are Micah six and eight. What does the Lord require thee, but you love justice, love mercy and walk humbly before your God. Yeah. That's been with me since I recognized church name. Wow, you know, um, so that's one. and. It's actually, I practice that, you know, humility, I think is, is such a way. I, I, I'm really thankful for what God has done for my life, but 
I can't be arrogant about it. I can't be boastful about it, you know, and that comes from that scripture. The other would be Luke 4, um, 17 and 18. You know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive and the recovery of sight to the blind, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, that piece from Isaiah. And mm -hmm. that to me, I love the fact that it's it comes after he's led into the wilderness by the spirit and is tempted of the enemy, you know? And so it's like, whoa, you know, the the growth that I, the, the ministry to, to find my ministry, you know, often means not just one time, but many times I have to deal with life. Um, I have to deal with despair. I have to deal with the, the, the ugly side of what it is. And that's what that one does for me as well, you know? Um, yeah. But, <laughs> That's so wonderful. I can keep going with this. Oh, I love, I love it. Love well, this is this is a great little taste of 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 how you cultivate hope and um and what inspires you. I'm also just wondering what's next for you. What is a project or something that you have happening that um is bringing you excitement yeah. and hope and joy? I, I've got two. Um, one, I'm very close to a book contract on a book on trauma and race. Um, for Black Indigenous people of color, mm -hmm. and, and just really looking at that. And, and with that, really want to look at the fact that we've used race as a weapon, and trauma has been the result. Um, and so, and, and the trauma is not just with people, black, you know, Black Indigenous people of color, it's with all, all, all Americans, all the world. Um, it's one of the great things that we've done is, is to oppress each other. Hmm. Um, in many different ways at many different times. So that that's one piece. And I'm enjoying working on that um, and looking forward to it. The other is um, we were just awarded um, a grant from the Lilly Foundation, where it's called the Well Program. And Well is not an acronym, but it's the biblical sense of being well, the mental health sense of being well, um, the sense of being around the well. So we're, we're looking at building community, um, finding grace in all these places. And with it, um, we're actually going to work with church planters and, and Latinx, Latino, Latina church planters. And we're gonna surround them with their own well team. I have to develop their own well team, mm. which will consist of mental health professional, urban planners, um, you know, a number of places. We have consultants that will, will do the lectures and, and the teachings for them as well. And another population will be African-American urban pastors. And that's, those two groups are because of, that's the specialty of New Brunswick and what we do. So it's not really um, that we're picking not to use other folk would love to, um, you know, but that's that's our specialty right now. That's what the, the grantors ask us to do. So we're doing that. And I'm excited about that. I'm It's one of those times where I'm so passionate about it, but I'm realizing that I have to um, raise up others who can do what I do. And so I'm actually having the opportunity now to work with a young counseling psychologist, um, academic who, I'm now going to really just shepherd through the whole grant process. And so that I can pass on to her a lot of what I've been blessed to have over the you know 30 years I've been doing this work. So 
That's so exciting. Congratulations on both those projects, the book. I can't wait to when that comes out. That's going to be a wonderful, inspiring read. And the Well Program. You know, I do know some of the pastors that are going to be involved um, in the in uh, in this grant. And I know from speaking to them and their context, New York City, you know, urban context, that it is going to breathe fresh life into their own ministry, as well as to that of their church and their, you know, their members and the community around them, because so many of these churches in the urban context really do, their community church, their mm-hmm. community center, the pastors that are, are very deeply involved with the local precinct, with, you know, all of the different um, folks in the community. And so this is going to really build and strengthen the body of Christ for mission in the world in a mighty way. So thank you for leading that and being so passionate about it. Yeah, it's it's a joy. It really is. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, Dr. Michael McCreary, thank you so much for being here as part of our podcast, Lavish Hope, and for sharing um, so deeply of your passion and your wisdom in this area and and helping us really um, wrap our heads around some really exciting concepts. The warrior healer, thinking about the David and Goliath. And I, I think there's just some wonderful things that people can apply to their own lives and glean inspiration and motivation from. God bless you and keep keep up your amazing work. You as well. Thank you so Invite much. Invite me back anytime. Yes, thank you. Okay. Bye for now. Bye.